Good morning. Good morning. Nice to be here with you. This is our sort of penultimate Sunday. We, uh, we'll be away next week, but uh, here for our final Sunday on the 11th of November. Uh, shall we pray together? Let's um, just commit our time to the Lord. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the anthem that's ringing through our heads that Christ is Lord. We thank you that he was the lamb that was slain. We thank you that through his uh, death, burial and resurrection, we have life. We thank you that the issue of our sin has been dealt with at the cross. And Father, this morning as we look at your word, as we look at what it means to walk in wisdom, we pray that your spirit will impact our hearts, will impact our minds, will grow and shape us into the likeness of Christ. That is is our desire, Lord. We thank you for empowering us through your spirit. We thank you that you do not leave us alone. You have given us your word to instruct us and your spirit to illuminate your word for our lives. So help us to be attentive, we pray today. In Christ's precious name, amen. So last week I set you a challenge. Can anyone remember what the challenge was last week? No, you can't, can you? I should write it down. What's that? How many times is in Christ or the derivative thereof in the book of Ephesians? Has anyone got an answer? Sorry? Yeah, you said a few, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, potentially. It's around 25. 25, 26. And... So that alone shows the importance of our union with Christ. Paul spends this letter and he, he says, okay, as a follower of Christ, you are in him. He is your sufficiency. He is your authority. He is your Lord. And uh, we just see that uh, through the, the pages of uh, Ephesians. Well, this week we are going to look at what a, the final command in this uh, little series in Ephesians 4 and 5. The final command to, to walk. That's what we've been wrestling with over the last nine weeks. And uh, we have discovered what it means to, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Our walk is always tied to our salvation. Our walk is always tied to the fact that God has made us alive in Christ. And we have seen that our walk is not to be like our former way. It's not to be like how we used to be when before we knew Christ because we're to walk in holiness. We've also considered that our walk is to imitate God. And that's a walk of love. Because the example given there is is Christ's love for us and that's how our walk should be imitating God. 
Last week we, we considered a walk that is a reflective walk. Not there sitting reflecting about our walk, but a reflective walk which is in the light of the Lord. So as believers and followers of Christ, we reflect Christ in everything we do. And when we are reflecting the glory of the Lord in our lives, what does that do? It exposes sin amongst us. So, you know, that, that was a pretty tough lesson last week when we, we think about the fact that you and I, as we walk in the light of the Lord, expose sin amongst the community for God's glory. And now we're going to consider what a wise walk looks like, what a wise walk entails. And uh, this actual command is found in two of Paul's letters. We're going to look at the one particularly in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're also going to look in Colossians chapter 4. So let's uh, read these texts together. So Ephesians 5, I'm reading from the English Standard Version today, Ephesians 5 verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your, with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. And turn with me over to Colossians, and we'll just read the portion there. Colossians chapter 4. I shall start the paragraph in verse 2. So Colossians 4, verse 2. Continually, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray more also for us, that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So if you put your finger back in Ephesians, that's where we're going to spend most of our time, but we'll, we'll have a look at that command in Colossians uh, through the morning. So Ephesians 5, 15 to 21 this passage further explains and provides instruction and exhortation for, for the believer to, to walk. To walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Remember this section started back in Ephesians 4 verse 1. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is the responsibility of a believer. This is a responsibility of those who have faith in Christ to walk in a manner worthy of to whom we are representing. 
to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord. This is the final time we, we have this particular verb used to walk in this section. And once again, in this particular paragraph, 15 to 21, Paul is providing a contrast. You know, we've been looking at lots of different contrasts, right? We see, don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. And he, he doesn't change his methodology. He's looking at the contrast between an unregenerate person or someone who does not know Christ or someone who hasn't put their faith in Christ and someone who has been regenerated, someone who has placed their faith in Christ. In the previous section, he, he showed the difference between light and darkness. He contrasted those two terms. Now he's contrasting the wise and the foolish. He gives a description of what wisdom looks like and especially in the context of community worship. Remember, this is a letter to a church. This is a letter to a church just like you and I here are in a church. It's a letter addressing issues of what unity should look like inside a church environment. What unity should be under the headship of Christ. Especially because the believer is filled by the Holy Spirit. Especially because of that. That's what sets us apart. As the Spirit of God indwells each one of those who has their faith in Christ. That's what provides unity. That's what, that's why a New Zealander can fellowship with Australians. See, it's not a natural thing. But the Spirit of God has worked in my heart over many years and I now sort of like you. I love you in Christ, in the Lord. But you know, that, that's, you look at the different ethnicities around this particular room, you look at the different backgrounds, the only thing that draws us together is God's Spirit. That is the only thing, because naturally you wouldn't want to be friends with me and I wouldn't want to be friends with you. So this is the natural outflowing of God's Spirit in the church. You see, in this particular portion, in verses 15 to 21, we have the not and but contrast statements. He does it three times here in this short paragraph. These statements provide the difference between the unwise and the wise, They provide the difference between foolishness and understanding and they provide the difference between being drunk with wine and being filled by the Spirit. So let's look at the verses again. I'll just read verse 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Now this particular verse 15 isn't a suggestion. It's not starting with a suggestion. This is quite a strong, emphatic saying. He's saying, look, take attention, be careful. This is of primary importance. 
but how you walk. And he provides it, don't walk like the unwise. That's the not statement. And then he has the but statement, but be wise. Or walk as the wise. Now, when I say walking in wisdom, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to walk in wisdom? You see, the world probably has a different view of wisdom to what we have a a view of wisdom when it comes to biblical truth. You know, the world might naturally just equate wisdom to age. Who here knows um, foolish old people? Yeah. Who here knows foolish young people? Yeah. So age at times is not a measure of wisdom. Yet the world may say, you know, if you're old, you're wise. Not necessarily. The world may also take intellect, being intelligent, having a whole series of facts about a particular subject is wisdom. I'd probably say, you know, most since this gentleman has just recently died, Stephen Hawkins, people would say he has a, a brilliant, intelligent mind. He understands physics, etc. Well, that's the world's view. What's the Bible's view of Stephen Hawkins? He's a fool. Why? Because a fool says in his heart there is no God. Kind of a simple standard, really, isn't it? When he, when he sits there and, and looks at the marvels of the universe and of creation and those things and then makes the blatant statement, there is no God. It's pretty easy to delineate what the Bible says about that. So when Paul says, walk in wisdom, be wise. What is he getting at? Now, and I think let's, let's try and get some indication from Ephesians because he's touched on the subject prior in the, in the letter of Ephesians. So let's go back with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to look at something in Ephesians 1 and something in Ephesians 3 to try and develop what Paul is saying about what it means to be wise in this context. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. These verses state firstly that God is full of wisdom and insight. But there's a purpose in his wisdom and insight. There's an intention in in passing on this wisdom and insight through redemption of Christ's blood on our behalf. The purpose is to make the mystery known. The mystery of God's will. Which is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him. So, 
if right up the front and start of Ephesians, we see that it's God's intention that believers should understand his saving plan. To do this, he's, he's lavished upon us by his grace, wisdom and insight by, by making known to us the divine mystery. From before the creation of the world to its consummation, God has a plan to unite things to himself, particularly to unite human beings. He follows this up with a prayer in uh, Ephesians 1, 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the Lord, that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul now prays that the Spirit, who has been received at conversion by every believer, might impart some wisdom and understanding. What's that wisdom and understanding based on? It's based on knowing who Christ is. Knowing the divine mystery that has brought them out of darkness into light through the redemption that Christ gives. So Paul, right at the start in chapter 1, is really wanting these Ephesians to grasp that the significance of salvation the significance of who they are in Christ. Remember he mentions it 25 times throughout this letter. This is who you are in Christ. This is the most significant thing in your walk. And he further gives us another little bit of understanding here in in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. We'll split that paragraph up. This is Paul's testimony. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a wonderful testimony by Paul. He's saying, I was a murderer of people who followed the way. But God in his grace gave me this gift, this administration he calls earlier in the chapter to to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And here's the purpose, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose or the eternal plan that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's preaching and bringing to light the unfathomable riches of Christ results in the manifold wisdom of God being shown. And this manifold wisdom of God is represented in the church. Do you get that? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. 
This community of believers here at Montmorency, just like the community of believers at Ephesus, we display the manifold wisdom of God as we meet. How and why? Because we're attesting to God's saving purposes and plan in this world. This word manifold wisdom is is a beautiful word. The word manifold means a multifaceted differing of colours. Giving us the idea that, that this wisdom is greatly diverse in its nature and its spread. And as I look out amongst you, I can see the diversity. From every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation, God calls people to himself. You know, it's like this manifold wisdom is multifaceted, multicoloured. If you, if you drill down with the word, the best probably picture language I can give you is a, of a diamond. Who here has a diamond? Yeah, no blokes have diamonds, do we? You notice that? The woman in our lives keep us poor. Yep, that's okay. So, a diamond. When you cut a diamond, what happens? And if light goes through that diamond, what happens if you cut a face of the diamond? What happens to the light? It refracts, right? But it refracts, it refracts in a multifaceted way, right? You've just got, you've got a prism of colours. That's how I'd describe this. The manifold wisdom of God is multifaceted. It gives us a prison of colours as being made known to us through the church. And not only to us, but it reflects to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church, the multifaceted shining of those who have been saved and brought to Christ, this diversity is reflecting into the heavenlies to display God's eternal purpose. Don't you find that incredible? I think... The authorities here too are not the heavenly angelic host because as you look through the book of Ephesians every time authority is mentioned it's about the darkness of the spiritual world. So this gathering of people the manifold witness the manifold wisdom of God who has brought us together Jew and Gentile slave and free is displaying itself to the darkest forces in the universe as God's eternal plan. You're his inheritance. A son and daughter of the living of God. Therefore the church is God's plan and the only means to show his purposes are being fulfilled. The new creation of a Jew and Gentile is the tangible evidence that the manifold wisdom of God has been revealed through Christ. The church is God's reflective agent for his multifaceted wisdom 
Therefore, Christian, therefore, those who follow Christ, your walk needs to reflect and reveal God's work in and through Christ in your life. Back to Ephesians 5. So, what does it walk mean to, to walk in wisdom? It means to understand where you've come from. It means to understand that you're part of God's eternal plan. Means to understand that, that your sins are forgiven, your past, your present, your future. You are secure in Christ. Nothing can rip that salvation away. And when you consider that, when anxiety comes, when depression comes along, where your circumstances change, and you get overwhelmed by those facts, to walk wisely is to focus on the fact that you're in Christ. That's your eternal destiny. And you're part of God's eternal plan at this point in time and at this place in this earth. He follows this up. He says, make sure as part of your wise walk you make the best use of time because the days are evil. That's pretty self-explanatory. The days were evil in the time of Ephesus. The days are evil today. And it's really a call. He's saying, redeem the time that God has given you to, to work for him. That's a wise walk. That's a wise investment of time. Take advantage of every moment of every day to conduct yourselves in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord because these days are evil. If you don't take the most of redeeming time, you will waste time and you'll start being influenced by the deeds of darkness. We read that last week. Now, we'll go to Colossians because... Paul in Colossians gives us the other side of walking wise and he further sort of emphasises this principle walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person so this is talking about your walk as a witness That's what it's talking about. A wise walk is a witnessing walk. A wise walk is ready to always give an answer for the hope that it was in you, as, as Peter says. 1 Peter 3.15 talks about this. In the previous verses in Colossians here, Paul had, had asked for prayer. He's, he said to the Colossians, please pray for us. Please pray for me. I'm in prison. Please pray for my evangelistic efforts, even though I'm bound up in prison. What a wonderful prayer. And please pray for my co-workers. But here in these verses, he just naturally commands the Colossians about their own evangelistic effort. And he wants them to walk in wisdom with relation to their witness to others. They're once again to to give the God-given time that God has given, they need to redeem that time to proclaim the message of Christ to their friends and neighbours. 
And then he says, this is the way it should be done. Notice the way it should be done. With gracious speech. Actually, use, it uses speech that's seasoned with salt. I don't really understand that, but I think it has this, this element of... Because if I say to you, your words should be salty, that seems to be a bit of a negative connotation, right? <laughs> it says seasoned with salt. So I think it relates to a graciousness in the way you proclaim Jesus. It's a warm and winsome manner. And the purpose is to be able to answer. Notice that in the verses. Be gracious with your speech so that you may know. And that's a, that's a pretty strong term here in the original. You may know how you ought to answer. So it assumes that as you live your life before others, they're going to see a difference. And they're going to be inquisitive about what is going on. The questions they ask may be just natural questions. They may be inquisitive questions. They may even be hostile questions. But their appropriate response is one of grace and truth. Now let's work back to Ephesians. Ephesians 5 and we'll continue the instruction. So that's the, the first, if you like, uh, clause. The first not but clause. The second not but clause comes in verse 17. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's very similar to the first one, right? You need to know what the Lord's will is and you need to walk in it. You need to understand something or when you understand something it's not just hearing something, right? When you understand something you actually act upon what you hear and that's the intent here. To know the Lord's will is to act on what you know about the Lord and walk in that. It's not just simply knowing the facts but it's to act upon those facts. To know about Christ and to act upon his will in your life. And we started discussing this several weeks ago as you go back to chapter 4 where Paul was contrasting the former way of the Gentiles with the, the, the new life in Christ, you know, the put on, put off metaphor that we looked at in chapter 4. He said this in chapter 4.20, but this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So this learning about Christ and this truth that is in Jesus is walking in the will of Christ. It's a Christ-centered instruction with its focus on the truth of the gospel. And this underpins a believer's walk in wisdom because you can discern what the Lord is asking. You see, in our sort of contemporary uh, Christian culture and context, 
Every time we talk about the Lord's will, it, it seems to frequently be understood in matters of sort of personal guidance. Right? Personal guidance uh, relating to God's plan for you, uh, particularly for the future. But I think here in Ephesians, he's turning it on that particular concept on its head a little bit. I think here Paul is really concerned about God's divine will and this is a slightly different focus. See, when you walk in in God's will, you need to understand his divine plan. And his will is closely related to God's gracious saving plan. We read that in Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. Especially 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. When we understand God's divine will this becomes a foundational principle for the formation of us as believers because this enables the Spirit of God to start actually shaping you into Christ-likeness to present you pure and blameless before Him. You think sometimes we have a preoccupation with personal guidance and that's not wrong in itself but it must always be understood first and foremost in the framework of God's gracious saving purposes it must always be understood in that framework back to Ephesians he now concludes this section with the final not but phrase Ephesians uh, 5.18 Do not get drunk with wine for this is debauchery but be filled by the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything for God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ you got the simple do not be drunk with wine for it is debauchery. Now, I think this is a broader concept than just drinking alcohol. It's anything that will entrap you to the ways of the world. I don't know why Paul just uses drink in this situation. It's the first time in, in this letter he does anything like that. But he's talking about don't be controlled by things that lead to debauchery. So... Today it could be wine, it could be drugs, it could be addictions to pornography, it could be just simple anxiousness and depression because you're failing to trust. Those things are counter to being filled by the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? This is a significant phrase here and in many ways is a summary statement for where we've started in chapter 4 verse 1. And Paul very 
carefully says, okay, in this context to be filled by the Spirit equates to five different things. There's five participles that hang off this major verb, be filled by the Spirit. And here they are. First one is to speak. Second one is to sing. Third one is to make melody. The fourth one is to be thankful. And the fifth one is to submit. And we'll just work briefly through those. So be filled by the Spirit. When you're filled by the Spirit, the result of being filled by the Spirit is that you're going to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Addressing, you're going to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's a mutual encouragement thing. Did you enjoy the singing this morning? Was that encouraging to your soul? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. You know? But these types of songs that we do collectively in, in uh, worship and praise are things that draw us together. They show us that the Spirit is working amongst us. So that's the first aspect of a wise walk. You're going to meet together and you're going to, with one another, address one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Secondly, you've got two uh, together here. You're going to sing and make melody. Those are two participles. Sing and make melody. From your heart to the Lord. Do you find yourself doing that? I do. Sometimes I find myself just walking around the house and I might be singing a song in my heart, right? I sing and make melody in my heart because I'm thinking about an aspect of what Christ has done. That's not from me, that's from the Spirit of God who is within me. That's what this text tells me. When you're filled by the Spirit, you're always going to have melody in your heart. Why? Because the Spirit shapes your heart changes your heart, transforms your heart, makes you love your enemies. That's a mark of being filled by the Spirit. And fourthly, being thankful. Verse 20, giving thanks. How often do you give thanks according to this verse? Always. Sometimes that's not quite so easy. That's what makes this a mark of being filled by the Spirit. For what should you give thanks according to this verse? Some things? Everything. Everything. Jules and I celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary yesterday. Yay! I gave thanks to the Lord for that because the Lord has been gracious and given me a partner for life. We should give thanks for everything. I have a border collie. Who else here has a border collie? Do you know what a border collie is? Most intelligent dog in the world. I have a border collie. I give thanks to the God for my stupid border collie. 
I give thanks to God for the tough circumstances. That's not quite so easy, is it? But this verse tells me when I'm filled by the Spirit that the Lord grants me the grace to give thanks in all things. For all things. How should I give thanks according to these verses? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because our Lord Jesus Christ gives us every blessing. He's the foundation stone of our thanks. And to whom should I give thanks? To God the Father. See the Trinitarian nature of this particular verse? Filled by the Spirit to give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God the Father. We worship a triune God, we should never forget that. And then finally, the fifth thing here is to submit to one another. When you're filled by the Spirit, you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You submit to your church leadership, you submit to one another in, 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 in amongst this community. Not because it's the right thing to do, but it's because you do it out of a reverence for Christ. Please note that. When you're filled by the Spirit, it so enlightens and, and changes your heart, you see things the way Christ sees, sees things. And that relates to mutual submission. And this is a bit of a hinge verse because this verse here hinges into the household code which comes in Ephesians. You have the household code in relation to husbands and wives in relation to slaves and masters and children and parents. And it's a hinge verse which flows into that as well. Part of being filled by the Spirit is being submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and it flows in the household code. So therefore... To walk wisely is to understand and be shaped by God's divine plan and his saving plan. Don't ever forget the gospel, folks. Don't ever be distant from what Christ has done for you. Look to him and him alone. He is your salvation. To walk wisely, you will also witness to the world. And you witness to the world as in relation to God's plan of salvation. You will season your speech with grace. Always ready to give an answer for your faith. Think about this week as you interact amongst your family, friends, work colleagues. Are you walking wisely by taking opportunity to share Christ? Not easy at times. Very difficult at times. Season your speech with grace. And give an answer for your faith. To walk wisely is to walk in the will of the Lord. To be Christ-centered in the, the truth of the gospel. And finally, to walk wisely is to be filled by the Spirit. We can't do this walk without the Spirit of God. None of these attributes that we've talked about the last nine weeks can be done without the empowering of God's Spirit in our lives. 
In this context, to be filled by the Spirit gives the means for you to speak and encourage one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. It also encourages you to, in your own heart to sing and make melody to the Lord giving thanks for all things and all circumstances in the name of Christ to the Father thanking him for every spiritual blessing and submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ so folks let's walk wisely Let's be known as men and women who walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we we cry out to you today because we know it's only through and by your Holy Spirit that we can even entertain to walk in wisdom. Father, just place on our hearts this incredible desire to to bask in the beauty of your divine plan in our lives, your saving plan. From before the foundation of the world, you called us. You provide a redemption through Christ. You seal us by your Holy Spirit. Help us be people who walk by the Spirit. This is our cry. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your encouragement. Father, help us in a, in a world that is so anti you to be men and women who walk with the wisdom of yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.